Hey, we're in a series uh, called Aliens, and in case you're just kind of hopping in, here, here's kind of the premise of what we've been talking about. We've been simply saying to one another that in that moment that we discovered Jesus, that we uh, realized we need a Savior and that we invited him to come into our lives, that moment was so transformative. You and I are so different today that in reality, it's like we don't belong to this world anymore, that you and I, in essence, are the aliens, and that if we're not careful, uh, we will continue to live our lives the way that we lived before. We'll, we'll do what our neighbors are doing. We'll, we'll make the same types of decisions that our coworkers are making. And in reality, if, if that's what we do, then you and I have no reason to expect our lives to turn out any different than their lives, even though we have Jesus. And what the Bible's saying is, is, is that you and I are now to begin to live like aliens in this world, understanding that the old rules and the old principles and the way that everybody else is doing it don't apply uh, anymore in our lives. And there's a new set of rules. There's a new set of standards uh, for you and I to live by, but it'll be different uh, than everybody else. You will be the alien. And uh, the first week we talked about this idea that said, hey, this isn't home anymore. That there's something bigger than this little 80-year dot that we call our lives. That you and I believe that there is eternity beyond this. And eternity is way, way longer and way, way more important than anything that can happen during the 80 years that you and I are on this earth. And so Jesus said, look, look, be careful. Don't live your life for the dot. Don't live your life here because nothing that you achieve, nothing that you accomplish, nothing that you save up, nothing that you purchase here goes on with you to there. And instead, be sure that you are laying up for yourselves treasures, Jesus said, in heaven, that something you're doing, something you're investing in, something that you're putting your life and your heart and your time in has eternal purpose and eternal meaning that you're sending it on ahead. Don't you dare, don't you dare, Jesus said, live for the dot. This isn't home. And then last week we talked about this idea that said, Jesus said, look, I, I know I know this is new and you may not have got it, but you are not an owner. See, a hundred times we say, wait, 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 it's my life. I can do whatever I want. And Jesus said, no, it's not. It's not your life. You are not an owner. Everything you have, every moment that you have to live, every talent and ability that you have, every opportunity that comes into your life, is God-given. And you are not an owner, you're a manager. And your responsibility is to manage that moment to say, hey, what would the owner want me to do? What would God hope that I would do with this opportunity and this moment in my life? And then live that moment that way, knowing that I don't own it. I'm simply stewarding this for God. I'm living this moment, this day, this opportunity in Chandler, Arizona. For the glory of Jesus. I'm not an owner. I'm a manager. And it's been interesting because God's been stirring us. What we've been just watching as people's hearts are getting moved. And God's kind of taking us to new places. And suddenly light bulbs are going on. And we're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. If that's true, then I need to do some things different than I've ever done before. And today uh, we're going to hop into a third topic, uh, which is really just involving our finances. And, and here's my fear. My fear is that 
with all that God has already been doing and as much as God's been changing our thinking that this may be the topic that kind of derails us just a little bit and that in this moment we just go, look, I mean, I was tracking with you, Lynn. I was all there and this whole thing about spending my time for God and give, letting my opportunities be leveraged. I mean, I was with you all that, but boy, when you get when you get to this topic of money, I mean, you're, you're just intruding in a place that you really shouldn't go and you have no business talking about. So here, here, here's what I want to say. Would you just, would you just hang in the room for the conversation? Because here's the deal. If, if at the end of the time that we talk, you go, look, I, I didn't get anything from that and I don't think it applies. And that's okay. It's okay. But it is possible that God will say something to our hearts today that we've never considered before. And we'll suddenly discover that living like an alien in this world also means rethinking our finances. And where we leverage them and what we do with them. And so I'm just going to, would you, would you have the conversation when we're done? Would you just be willing to say, hey, God, does any of that apply to me? And then do whatever God would lay on your heart. Just, just do that. And if God says, hey, none of it, then you're off the hook and you're good. But here's my fear. My fear is that we'd come to this topic. We'd come to this moment in the conversation and you and I would pull a cane. You know, you know who I'm talking about when I say a cane. Cain and Abel, Cain. Second story in the Bible, Cain. And you realize Cain comes to a moment where God is having a conversation with him about his stuff, about his finances. And in that moment, Cain goes, whoa, 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 God, you just crossed the line. There's just no, 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 no. And he pulls a Cain. And I want to take a moment and make sure that you and I aren't pulling any Cains in our life. When it comes to our finances. So grab your Bibles real quick. We're going to take a look at his story. See if we can learn some lessons together. And maybe God would speak to our hearts. So grab your Bibles. It's uh, Genesis uh, chapter 4. Uh, you ought to be able to find that. Uh, Genesis. Uh, first book of the Bible. So you go to the left hand side. Uh, Genesis chapter 4. Starting in verse 1, here's the interesting thing as you guys are going there. It's interesting to me that the first two stories of the Bible, God is dealing with us and having conversations about our money and our stuff. You get it. You get that uh, Adam and Eve get into the garden and God says, look, 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 you can have everything in the garden. You can have everything. You just can't eat of that one tree. And what do Adam and Eve do? They eat that one because they need what? More stuff. And then we get to the second story of the Bible, and God is talking to Cain about an offering that he brought. And Cain's going, well, no, I just didn't want to bring you what you asked for, God. I didn't want to do that. I mean, and he's having the very second story of the Bible is about our stuff. Because, because you ready for this? From the very beginning, you and I have struggled over this topic. From the very beginning, this is the place that we've gotten angry at God. From the very beginning, this is the place we've said, God, you can have every other part of my life. Just don't touch this part of my life. Because... So here we go. It's uh, Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Here's what happens. Here's what it says. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth uh, to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked in the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. 
So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, hey, uh, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, then sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have you. But you must master it. Get get this moment. Don't miss this. In the midst of a discussion with Cain about his possessions, God says, look, 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 you need to understand this moment, Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. This, This is a topic. This is an issue in your life that you've got to get to the right answer on. Because if you don't, this is a topic that can shipwreck you. It's going to try and master you. And you have got to learn, ready, to master it. You have got to win this argument, Cain, with yourself. Or your life's going to be in trouble. Now, here's an interesting question. How come God was not pleased with Cain's offering? Now, if any of you have uh, been raised in church and grown up in church, there's a chance uh, you've heard a pastor sometimes say, well, whoa, 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 here's the deal. Uh, God liked Abel's offering because it was meat. And God did not like Cain's offering because it was vegetables. And God's not a vegetarian. No, no, no. A lot of times what pastors will say is, you know, when, when, when Abel brought and gave the lamb, he gave a little lamb. It was kind of a picture that Jesus would one day be the lamb. And that's why God accepted it. And Abel brought, a, you know, a bunch of pomegranates. And, you know. Look, it's not the problem. It's not the problem. Matter of fact, you're going to find, and we're going to see a passage in just a minute, that over and over and over again, that God says, hey, bring me the first fruits of your crops. It's not about whether it was meat or whether it was vegetables. It's not about what was given. You ready for this? It's not about what was given. It's about how it was given. And it makes all the difference in the world to the heart of God. So, what did Cain miss? He missed this principle of first fruits. Grab your Bibles and get ready, guys, because we're going to look at several passages together today. You're going to want to see that what we're saying is exactly what Scripture teaches on this topic. So go with me just a few pages over to your right to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 23. And we're going to look at this principle of first fruits. Exodus chapter 23. Verse 19. Here's what it says. Ready? Bring the, what's the next word? Best. Okay, let's say that again because you guys missed that pretty bad. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Now, here's what you got to get. Here's what you got to understand was the requirement, what God was asking for. He says to the farmer, look, you're going to bring me the first 10% of your crops. When you get out to harvest, you're going to go out to your field. You're going to take that first 10%. And here's the look, look, look. It's not the back 40. So you can't go back to that corner where it didn't get watered very well and nothing really grew. No, 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 no. You're going to go to the best section of your field. And that's where you're going to take my 10%. And then you're going to bring that 10% of your crop. You're going to lay it on an altar of sacrifice, and we're just going to burn it up. I'm going to burn it up. 
But that's going to be your gift to the Lord. He says to the guy who's raising livestock, here's how you're going to give your tenth. You're going to give me your firstborn. You're going to give me the first fruits of the womb. So the moment your cow has a calf, you're going to bring me the first calf that that cow ever bears. Whenever uh, your lamb uh, or has a ba- or your sheep has a lamb, you're going to bring me that lamb. And you're going to take that first lamb. You ready? This, last night, this was a dog. <clears throat> uh, we, we trimmed its ears. You don't, you don't need to worry. It was under anesthesia. So he's, he's doing fine and recovery is expected. So, um, but, but here's the deal. He says, look, you're going to take this lamb. And think about this. You're going to take this lamb uh, before it has any opportunity to breed, before it breeds any, any other lambs. You're going to take that first lamb, okay? You're going to lay it on the altar and we're going to burn it up. We should get the principle here. This is not about God needing our money. Because, because think about this. If God needed this stuff, then why is he having them burn it up? Why, why isn't he saying, hey, no, bring it in. I'm going to take it to the market. We're going to make, you know, some profit off this. Hey, give me your sheep. I'm going to raise a few more. We're going to get, you know, kind of an entrepreneurial thing going on. We're going to, no, no, no. God says, look, 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 look. I don't need your stuff. That's not why I asked you to give it to me. And get this thing because this is going to change your heart. It's not, God does not ask you and I to give because he needs your money. God asked you and me to give because he needs you and me to know that we don't need our money to be our God. That's why. Okay. Here's something that's really interesting, guys. That's what you, just just a, a little trivia to throw out there. When these Old Testament saints are bringing their first fruit offerings, God burns it up, and you just go, "Whoo!" I mean, that's that's interesting. God didn't eat it. God didn't. It's just gone. Do you realize how much easier it ought to be for you and me to bring our first fruits to God? Because do you realize that when you and I bring our first fruits in, we immediately receive a blessing for it. It immediately goes to buy high school pastors to work with our teenagers. It immediately goes to turn on lights in church so we can have classes or to have a singles pastor to work in our singles. Do you realize that you and I immediately receive a blessing from the first fruits we give? These guys never saw it. It ought to be a hundred times easier for you and I to bring first fruits. But here's what you got to get. Here's what you got to get. God isn't asking us to give because he needs the money. God could finance the church a hundred other ways. God is asking you and I to give so that you and I know that you don't need the money to be your God. Let, let me give you two incredibly powerful principles that happen every time you and I bring first fruits. Okay? Principle number one. When you and I bring the first tenth, when you and I say, look, before I spend my money on anything else, before I do anything else, I'm going to bring you the first tenth. Here's what you and I do. You and I absolutely declare that we love God. You do. You absolutely declare. You ready for this? God, I am bringing you my first fruits because, because you ready for this? Because I love you more 
than anything I could buy with this. More than the big screen TV, uh, more than being able to trade in my car this year and go to the newer model, more than, vac- more than anything I could buy, I love you. Because here's what God knows. God knows that your heart and my heart is intrinsically attached to our money. It is. Matter of fact, you will live a lifetime with a mistress of money. Constantly clamoring for your attention and trying to say to you, love me more then you love your God. Matter of fact, Jesus had exactly this conversation with you and I. So grab your Bibles one more time and go with me to the book of Matthew. Come on, grab your Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. If you've already closed your Bible, if you go to the back and work to the left, you're going to find this passage. It's Matthew chapter 6, and it's Jesus talking about this very topic. Matthew chapter 6, listen to the, and if you've got a red letter Bible, then you know these are the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus said about our stuff and our money and where our heart is. Here's what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Sound familiar? Part of what we've been saying together as aliens. And where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he goes right on. He says, look, look, look. And here's how you apply this. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You say, well, I don't love my money. I mean, it's just kind of a necessity of life. It's one of those things you got to kind of work. But look, I don't love my money. Really? You don't love your money. Then give 30%. I mean, if you don't love your money, I mean, if money doesn't have any part of your heart, it doesn't doesn't mean anything, give 30%. And you know why that bothers us? Because our hearts are intrinsically attached to money. It's why, you ready? It's why it is such a powerful statement when you and I take the first fruits the first 10% and say to God, God, look, I'm just declaring maybe even more for me than for you that I love you more than anything I could have bought with that. Matter of fact, Jesus goes on, verse 24, here's what he says. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's a second principle. There's a second incredibly powerful statement that happens when you and I obey first fruits. And it's simply this. When I give to God first, when I say, look, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this before I can do anything else with it, I'm gonna give it to you. It absolutely requires faith. Here's why. 
Remember the guy who brought his crops? Here's what he knows. There's no way if I give God 10% of my crops for my crops to help me recover. In other words, I'm not going to get the chance to break them open and take the seeds out so I can plant them again because I burned it. And so no, I have, ready? I have to utterly trust God to make up the difference. Because here's the deal. I'm adding up what I need and I'm adding up my expenses. And by giving God this first 10%, I'm just not even sure how it all balances. I am absolutely acting on faith. That God is going to supply whatever is lacking and whatever need has been generated by putting him first. And my faith is in him and not a piece of paper with green ink on it. When, when that person brought their livestock, when they brought that lamb, when they brought their calf, they brought it before that lamb had ever had a chance to have its own babies. Before that calf had ever had a chance to have its own calves. There was no chance... I mean, think about how much more practical it would have been if you would have said, no, let the calf grow up, let it get really old and gnarly, but let it have 20 cows first. Then I'll give God the dirty, stinky, gnarly cow at the end. But you ready? By faith, I brought the calf before it could ever give me anything. And now I have to trust God to make up the difference. Which means every single time you and I bring God our first fruits, we're saying, my faith is in you and not in the calf. Not in the gourd. There's an interesting story in scripture. Elijah, who's a prophet of God, uh, is told by God, look, you need to announce to Israel they've been disobedient. They've forgotten that I provide everything for them. And they've become reckless in, in how they're living. And he says, look, so here's, here's what I want you to do, Elijah. I want you to go tell them it's not going to rain because they forgot that I provide the rain that blesses them with the crops and gives them everything they have. So I'm just going to take it away till they remember. And so Elijah goes, he says, look, it's not going to rain. They end up having famine in the land because there's no crops to take in. Here's the problem uh, when you're a prophet of God and there's famine in the land. There's nothing for you to eat either. And so Elijah says, God, look, I need some help here. And so God says, look, here's what you're going to do. Uh, you're going to go into this next little town over here. And when you get there, you're going to find a widow. Talk about somebody who doesn't have enough to give. And he says, Elijah, you're going to find a widow. She's going to be there gathering some sticks. When you see her, walk over to her and say, look, uh, I need you to feed me. Elijah says, okay. So Elijah goes to the town. Sure enough, he barely gets inside the gate. There's a little widow picking up some sticks. And he says to her, hey, would you give me a drink of water? And she says, well, sure, I'd give you a drink of water. He says, well, while you're at it, bring me a piece of bread. The widow stops dead in her tracks. She turns around slowly and she says to Elijah, I'm telling you the truth. I'm here gathering these sticks because I'm going to make a fire. I've got a little container that's all the way down to the bottom. It's got a little bit of flour in it. I've got a little jar. It's got just a tiny tablespoon worth of oil in it. I'm going to make two cakes, one for me and one for my son, and we're going to eat it. And then we're going to starve to death. Here's what Elijah says. First, make me a cake. Isn't that interesting? First, 
make me a cake. And then with whatever's left over, make a cake for you and for your son. And she goes. She makes a cake for Elijah and she brings it to him. She goes back and lo and behold, there's still something in the little flower pot. There's still a little something in the oil jar. And she mixes it together, makes a cake, gets up the next morning. Guess what? There's flour in the flower pot and there's oil in the oil jar. And she makes a cake and she goes back at lunchtime and there's flour in the flower pot and there's oil in the oil jar. You know how long this goes on? Three years. Let me ask you a question. How many of you think that if she would have said, hey, here's what I'll do. I'm going to make a cake for me and I'm going to make a cake for my son. And then I'll come and make a cake for you with whatever's left over. How many of you think God would have done the miracle and provided? Because guess what we know? Order matters. It was the absolute faith of the widow that said, I'm going to do this for the man of God, even though I have no hope unless God provides. And guys, I'm just going to tell you that when you and I come with first fruits, I get it. I get it. It's why it is an absolute act of faith that says, I'm not trusting pieces of paper with ink on them. I'm trusting my God to make the difference. It's why, you ready? It's why God doesn't need your money. He needs you to know you don't need your money to be your God. In light of first fruits, in light of the discussion that we just had, now go back to the conversation that Cain has with God. See if the story reads different. And if all of a sudden you go, oh, that's why God is so disappointed in Cain's answer. So jump with me again back to Genesis, back to the story of Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4. Here we go. Now watch as I read. See if you can see the moment. Okay? Genesis chapter 4. Adam lay with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. You ready? In the course of time. After he'd gone through his month, after he'd paid his bills, he looked to see what was left. In the course of time, Cain brought some. He brought what was left over. He brought what he could afford after he had already spent what he wanted to on himself. After a while, Cain brought some. You get the moment. Cain is thinking about this and he's processing it in his head and he's trying to figure out how this makes any sense. And and he's going, look, look, I'm just telling you, there's, there's the mortgage on the tent You cannot believe, you cannot believe what a convertible camel with leather costs these days. And then the kids, the kids, you know, the kids are in slingshot lessons. I mean, you never know when another giant's going to show up and they might be able to go pro. 
you know? And so, you know, you got all that going on. And I'm just, I'm just telling you, look, it, this isn't, this isn't rocket science. You, you add it up. You just, you just do it. On your, I can't afford this. There's, there's no way I can afford first fruits. So I'm just waiting to see at the end of the month what I can do after a while. And I mean, it's not like I don't want to give. And, and I mean, if there was ever a point where, you know, I just had so much that, you know, I could, I mean, I would, but it's just not reasonable. It's not practical. Can, can I give you a clue? God's not a big fan of practical. He's just not. And you say, well, wait, wait, I mean, are you trying to tell me to be reckless and, I mean, just do this? And, and No, 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 no. I, I'm going to tell you that 90% of your life doing what's reasonable and what makes sense and what's practical is okay. It's just not okay when it keeps you from doing what God asks. And when God asks, practicality has nothing to do with it. See, when God asks, you jump out of boats and you walk on water. See, when God asks, you go walk around a city seven times and you let God push the walls over. See, if, if David had been waiting to be practical, he would have sat around until the bazooka was invented before he went after Goliath. If, if Daniel was trying to be practical, he would have exhausted all of his appeals. And while he was waiting in prison, he would have been studying lion taming 101. If Gideon, if Gideon was being practical, he would have saturated Israel with recruitment posters for his army. I'm just telling you, God, God is not a big fan of practical. And he says, look, there's moments where I'm just going to ask you to demonstrate your faith. I'm just going to ask you to do what I've asked you to do. And then trust me to be the difference maker. Isn't it true? Isn't it true that as most of us go through our month and we have expenses? An awful lot of the expenses that you and I have during the month are little things. Tiny little things that just kind of sneak up and we spend a couple bucks here and a couple dollars there. And, and you know, you hardly even notice it. You know, you're, you're sitting in the, in the mall and your kid wants the new video game and you go, well... You know, I mean, it's, it's not a deal. It's just a little thing. You, you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden you get this urge. Double caramel macchiato. And suddenly you're pulling into a Starbucks. You ready for this? To buy a $5 coffee. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk out on a limb here. But if you're buying $5 coffees and you're telling me you can't afford to tithe, you see that blouse. And, and you know, the truth is, I mean, you've got, you've got, you've got plenty of blouses, but this one is really super cute. 
And besides, it's on sale. So if you buy it, you'll be saving your husband money. And you know, there's that night you're a little bit tired and you decide you're going to eat out even though you've got food in the house. But hey, isn't the reality that there's an awful lot of little things that kind of slip in? And if you and I were to even try to document, we'd go, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, every month just has a ton of little things that come in and kind of eat away at your finances. And then, then you've got the real stuff because here's the deal. I've got a real mortgage. I've got a real house payment going on. And, and then... And then there's the car payments uh, that we've got going on. And I know, look, I, I get it. I, I get that running up my charge cards with like 21, 22, 23% interest. I mean, I get, I get it. Probably wasn't the wisest thing to do. But if you read that little thing on the bottom where it says, if you pay just the minimum, I mean, I'll pay back a billion dollars. And, and you just go, look, Lynn. This isn't rocket science. I'm just telling you. And then you come and my pastor says, tithe? Tithe? How does that? Are you kidding me? That's, Lynn, what you don't understand is just how absurd this is in the midst of the conversation. What if, what if the people of God said to God, I'm going to give first fruit. See, instead of waiting until the end of the month and I give you whatever is left over after I've spent it all on myself, I'm, I'm going to give you first fruits. And, and I've got a mortgage to pay and I, yeah, I've got car payments. And those crazy charge cards are there. And then, then I'm going to tackle the little things. And then if I go to the mall and I see the blouse or if I need to go to Starbucks, so I'm simply going to do that after I've done what I should have done for God. Guys, look, 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 look. I'm just crazy enough. I'm just crazy enough to believe that when you and I give God first fruits, that God's going to make sure Starbucks happens. <laughs> but what if? What if? Wait, 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 wait. What if? What if He didn't? What if God wasn't faithful? What if God didn't make up the difference? Wouldn't you rather give Starbucks the last fruits instead of your Savior? I, I mean, if something was actually going to get cut out of your life and something was going to get shortchanged, shouldn't, shouldn't it be the blouse in the mall? It's why God says it is so powerful that you don't do this after a while. That you do this first. 
And then here's the second thing in the passage. Not only did Cain, after a while, after he spent all he was going to spend on himself, look and see what he's going to do. And you get, you get in this moment, you get, you get, you get that, that Cain treats God like a charity. He does exactly what you and I do, and that is, hey, all right, you know, it's a good cause. I think I'll go look in the closet, see if there's anything that I'm done with, and then I'll give a little something to God. God is not a charity. I don't care if you treat goodwill that way. I don't care if you treat United Way that way, or I don't care. You just can't treat God like a charity. And after a while, Cain brings some. He brings what he can afford. He brings, he brings what isn't going to hurt too bad. And, and you get the moment here. I can tell you exactly what happened. Cain is sitting in church. Here comes the offering plate. He goes, oh, again. Offering plate gets pretty close to him, and he pulls out his wallet. many shoes does one woman need? My kids must have robbed me for gas money again. And so when the plate comes, guess what he gives? Some. Some. Whatever he could afford in that moment. After. Here's the problem with some. What you give is a direct reflection of your gratitude. What you give to God is a direct reflection of how thankful you are to God. And when you give some, it makes a huge statement. Lisa and I had just gotten married and we moved into a little house. You ready? 48th Street and Southern. Anybody know the neighborhood? All right, let me tell you what the neighborhood is. 48th Street and Southern is where you move when you're moving out of South Phoenix. It's the next step over. And I'm just telling you, the night we moved in, helicopters were flying over as the police were pursuing a guy who had raped a young lady in the alley. That's 48th Street and Southern. And we got into this house, there was animal feces all over the ground that people allowed their animals to be in the house and just do what they were going to do. There was blood on the walls because they were intravenous drug users, and when they pulled a needle out, the blood was spurred on the wall. And Lisa and I wiped down this little house and cleaned it up, and my dad was taking out the old carpet as his house, and we begged him and said, Dad, 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 can we have your old carpet? Because your old carpet is so much better than the carpet we've got right now. We put that carpet in our house. 900 square feet. I had a friend from Bible college, and he, uh, he called me up one day, and he said, Lenny, my marriage is shipwrecked right now. We are in so much trouble. And I'm just thinking if we had a new start, if we could just, you know, like be somewhere with different friends in a different environment, maybe, maybe we could turn this thing around. And so we invited my friend and his wife and their two-year-old daughter and said, look, just come live at our house. And Lisa and I moved out of the master bedroom, which meant that it was about 10 feet by 12 feet. And we moved over into the second bedroom, which meant it was 10 feet by 7 feet. And uh, part of the reason we did that is because there was a small walk-in closet uh, over on the master bedroom side. They used that as the nursery. They put the crib for their two-year-old daughter in there. I told my friend, look, you can come work with me. 
I'm, I'm doing lawn service. I'm mowing lawns right now. And whatever profit we make, I'll just split it right down the middle with you. Which means you don't have to pay for the new equipment I've already bought. You're not having to pay for any of the maintenance and the insurance on the truck. And While you're living with me, uh, you don't have to pay any rent. You don't have to pay any utilities. I, I just want to give you another shot. I want to give you some help in your life. They'd, they've been living with us for probably six or seven months. And my friend came to me and said, hey, uh, would you and Lisa consider watching our daughter tonight? And I said, well, I, I think so. Yeah, what's up? He says, I, I just want to take my, my wife to this, like, amazing dinner. I'm going to blow a whole bunch of money on her. And that was a little bit interesting because with all the sacrifice Lisa and I were doing, we, we couldn't have even thought about going jack-in-the-box. would have been a big night out. And uh, I said, well, you know, what's that about? Because, well, we're celebrating. And I said, uh, what are you celebrating? He said, we've paid off all of our charge cards. You know, I thought that was interesting that in the midst of all the sacrifices that Lisa and I were making on behalf of this couple in, in, in light of them not paying a single penny on rent or utilities and we were... had a pretty good idea in that moment that my friends weren't necessarily very grateful for what Lisa and I had done. It's because here's the deal. When you're grateful, you're generous. When you're grateful, you give back. Which is why, you ready? It's why what you and I give to our Lord is a direct reflection of our thankfulness. It just is. And when you and I are stingy, and when you and I say to God, wait till I spend everything on myself that I want to spend on myself, and I'll see what I have left over afterwards. You and I make an incredibly powerful statement. We pull a cane. And let's just be honest today. There's probably not one of us in this room that wouldn't have to raise their hand and say, look, there's been a moment, this may even be the moment, and I'm, I'm cane all over the place. Here's the, I've, I've been bringing some after a while. And I get it. I get it that it's just such a deep violation because it has nothing to do with first fruits. It has nothing to do with trusting my God. It has nothing to do with declaring that I love him more than anything I could buy. I get it. How do you turn this around? Do what God required. Take his share first. Say, God, that's yours. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel practical. I'm not sure how I make it. But here's the thing. I'm counting on you to make up any difference I've got. Because I need you to know that I love you more than anything I could have bought. I'm going to give you first fruits. Here's what I'm going to ask you to consider. I'm going to ask you to go home and pray about this today. And I'm going to ask you to simply say to God, God, in light of what you've done and in light of what I want you to know about me and how thankful I am in my heart, what should I be giving right now? And to simply do whatever God lays on your heart. Don't do what I lay on your heart. Don't do what... Do whatever God tells you to do. Just do that. So here's what we've done. In the seat back in front of you, we've put some cards. And I'm going to ask every single family to grab a card right now. 
I'm going to ask you to take the card home. And if you notice, it's got a place for your name and for your address on there. And then at the very top, it just simply says, I'm committed to start giving blank. Now, let me tell you why we're doing cards. No one's going to call you. No one's going to bug you. That's not what this is about. When you and I fill out a card, it feels more like a promise. So this is between you and God. It's not between you and me. It's between you and God. But I want it to feel like a promise. And so I'm going to ask you to go home. I'm going to ask you to meet with your spouse and say, hey, look, I just want us to pray for a week. What is it that God would want us to give? And then I'm going to ask you to pray for a week and say, God, what is the amount that I should put up here? And if he says to you, look, Lynn is such a turkey. I didn't mean any of that. You know, what you give doesn't matter to me at all. And what you give is not a reflection of your love. And this has nothing to do with obedience. And this has nothing to do with trusting me. And so just put a zero. Just put a zero there. And if that's what God tells you to put there, then put a zero. But here's what I'm equally asking you to do. If God gives you a number to put there, and your eyes get a little bit big, and your mouth gets a little bit dry, put that number. Put whatever it is that God would say you're supposed to do that he would know. That you don't love anything else as much as you love him. That you don't trust any other God as much as you trust him. A number that would reflect your gratitude for all he's done for you. Put that number down. And then I'm going to ask you to come back next week. We're going to turn these in just as our promise, as our promise before him. Hey, God, this, this is what you asked. This is what I'm going to do because I want you to know you're a God worthy of my first fruits. Let's bow our heads. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we're, we're just going to be honest. There's not a one of us in this room that at some point in our lives we haven't pulled a cane. That we didn't say, look, I can't afford this. And, and so I'm just going to wait till the end of the month and see what's left over. And after we had spent our money on ourselves and whatever we wanted to that month, we looked and said, hey, God, here's my last fruits. Here's some of what you gave me. And God, we're discovering for maybe for the first time, many of us at that's just a horrible statement. It's just a... It's so opposite of what we want to tell you and say to you. And so, God, I'm just going to ask you, give us the courage to raise up as Cornerstone today and say, look, we're going to do this more like Abel. We're going we're to be aliens in this land, and we're going to begin to give to God in a way that reflects our love, reflects our gratitude, that reflects our faith. We're going to give whatever you lay on our hearts to put in that box. Because that amount will be the right amount. And then you'll know. Then we'll know. That you're God. And our money isn't. This we promise in Jesus name. Amen.